Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, you guys. This is Pleasant. You're listening to The Devil's Music. And today, my guest is one of my oldest, dearest friends. She's an amazing musician. She's got tons of solo albums out. She's a founding member of the Go-Go. She's an animal activist. And perhaps she's also the only human being in the entire history of the world who um, fell off a cliff in a drunken Jedi life, light, lightsaber, <laughs> lightsaber duel. <laughs> Please welcome Jane Reedland. Hi, everybody. May the force be with you. Don't fall off a cliff. <laughs> Hi, Boo Boo. It's so nice to be talking to you. I know. And seeing you on Zoom, you're so beautiful. I love you. Likewise. Um, well, we're going to save the dirty shit for later. Well, at okay. least to each other. Um, <laughs> I think we should, um, I think, even though this has been in a, a shit ton of punk books, I think we should talk about the first time we met. Because I, I, the minute I saw you, I was like, I was first like, you know, the first emotions were a little bit of suspicion and jealousy, but I also thought you were so cute. And then when I saw you, when I saw what you had to offer in more ways than one, <laughs> I was super excited. So tell everyone where it was. Okay. So I, when I graduated high school, right after that, I started college at LA Trade Tech, which is, you know, a technical college because my parents were too cheap to send me to like Parsons because I wanted to be a designer. So um, I was in college. It was 1976 and I was, um, I started I found out about the punk scene in London and I didn't know there was a punk scene in Hollywood yet. And I started making punk clothes and I went to Sunset Strip because there was this store called Granny Takes a Trip. And Granny Takes a Trip used to be like a glitter rock store and it had just turned into a punk store. So I go in with all these t-shirts I'd made and like some of them have like zippers over the titties and some of them have like lyrics from punk songs, which actually the guy didn't like. And in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, those are super corny. But anyways, so while I'm in there selling this stuff to him, this super cool chick walks in who's clearly a punk rocker. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a real punk rocker because I'd never met one yet. <laughs> and she was there to sell stuff, too. And obviously it was Miss Pleasant. And. She gave me a flyer for The Mask, which was the first underground punk rock venue in this hellhole of a basement where the plumbing was always overflowing. Um, and so that's how I found out about the punk movement, and that's how I met you, Pleasant. And um, I just, I, I wanted one of your shirts so bad, but in those days, like, I didn't, like, you know, ask for you know what I mean? Like, you know how, because we were both teenagers. I mean, obviously we were both out of our minds and like completely crazy and, and scary and stuff, but we wouldn't go like, Hey, want to trade shirts or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then after that, I just remember that you were always around and we were always doing scary stuff together. Like, you know, like it, it for anyone that's listening, the early days of the LA punk scene were so insular and around around these parts in LA, like we were always just sort of called the hundred punks because there probably wasn't even a hundred of us to begin with. But, um, that, you know, that's how small the punk scene was. And we were all like in it together and everyone in those days, you, you could have a frame of reference on someone just by the way they looked, you know, that they, yes. made, um, 
you know, if they dressed like you, you knew that like you'd seen the same um, movies and read the same books and had probably the same psychotic sense of humor. Yes, yes. And the same rebellious nature. And yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how many people realize that how the glitter glam rock scene completely spawned the punk rock scene because everyone I know that became a punk rocker started out like a glitter rocker and listening to Bowie and um, Roxy Music and, and Slade and, you know, all, mostly English bands, by the way. Um, and then we just sort of gravitated towards punk because the glitter rock scene was also like super rebellious. I mean, it was all like sex and um, you know cross-dressing and it was tons and tons of fun so I always gravitated towards that kind of shit yeah me too I think all of us did too and then there was like the the kind of rocky horror crossover and by that I mean this was in LA I don't mean that we we loved the movie but we weren't like the the kind of people that threw toast at the screen and stuff we just went there because Because we were too young to um, get into like 21 and over clubs. So we could only go to like the Whiskey and the Roxy and, you know, like sort of underground or illegal events and the Starwood, which I fucking loved. Oh my um, God, the Starwood. That's my favorite club from that time, I think. I, I have really? dreams about the Starwood and the Sugar Shack. Well, I don't know. I mean, I lived at the Whiskey. I worked at the Whiskey. It's hard. But the Star, the Starwood, I think I just have such nostalgia for it because it vanished. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, I know. And now, when you go on the uh, corner of uh, uh, Crescent Heights and Santa Monica, it's like it was never there. I know. That's like, what I mean. Wait, was it really there? But, I mean, that's kind of like L.A. in general. Like, now when I go to L.A., I don't know where the fuck I am. Like, everything's changed so much, and I don't know. It, it's funny, as you get old, how, like, all your whole, like, all your memories start disappearing, both literally, well, both things literally, like, physically in the universe, but also in your brain. Although you remember everything pleasant. Yeah, but I still feel like an like an old lady. I mean, I am an old lady, but... <laughs> <laughs> like I'll be driving around and I'll be like, oh, there's where we used to pogo dance in the basement. Like <laughs> tell people that we would save up all our like nickels and pennies so we could eat steak at Johnny's Steakhouse on Hollywood Boulevard and a steak dinner was a dollar ninety nine. That was really expensive. <laughs> And we really would be paying with like quarters and pennies. Coins. Yes, people don't even like, people just throw coins on the ground now. <laughs> um, anyway, hardly anyone uses money anymore. I, I mean, like cash money, like, like you know, hand sanitizer, dirty cocaine money. <laughs> right? I read somewhere that something like 98% of American dollars have cocaine residue on them. Well, maybe that's not true anymore because of COVID, but. A few years ago, that was true. <laughs> when I first found that out, that was maybe like, I, I don't know, longer than a few years ago, but I remember scraping money with a credit card. <laughs> to see if, anything, if anything would come. Oh my God. I had done so many hideous things on cocaine. Like you're in the bathroom in a club and you're snorting lines off the top of the toilet tank and then like you miss them. So you just like wipe it up and stick it in your mouth. Like, what the fuck? No, that's that's why we, that's why we're immune to COVID. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, we have very strong constitutions due, due to our fucking abhorrent health behavior. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm gonna um speaking speaking of um the white lady um <laughs> remember, remember the fucking like <laughs> Weimar Republic party at your house. Oh shit, dude, I'm not even kidding. I was going through my 8,000 photos on my iPhone yesterday and because it's old, it's like, I can't take any more stuff putting photos in. So I was like trying to get rid of photos or whatever. And um, I came up with all those photos from that party and I was dying. And the first thing I got, because I had on that full on really super hot, cute, like, German uniform thing with like the hot pants and the corset and stuff. And I'm like, I should write on these photos that it's not Nazis. I have this huge paranoia that people will find like an old photo of me or something and go like, look at her wearing Nazi shit. Because I don't know if you remember, but that was when we were like buying East German army shit because it was like super hot looking and it was really cheap at a surplus store. Yeah. I don't know why I have this fear of people thinking I'm a Nazi because I'm not a fucking Nazi. 
Another but wait, I was just talking about that yesterday. Um, because really? I have a, well, well, because I have a sedition. Yeah, yesterday. Not the party, but I have a um, seditionary shirt, like an original one um, mm-hmm. that was Joan Jett. And she gave it to me and my friend Dennis, but it's got a swastika on it. And I was like, I can yeah. never put this on eBay. <laughs> I know. That's just the depressing part. One of my best friends named Keats who died a really long time ago, like around. Oh, I love Keats. Keats was my only boy at that point. Yes, he was. He was so funny. We had to. Okay, I have so many more stories about Keats, but he and his boyfriend Ted went to Argentina on vacation, and apparently there's all these crazy flea markets with all this insane shit because you know all the Nazis fled there after World War II and they brought all their like priceless antiques and all, you know, their ephemera and knickknacks and shit. So of course, because they're super sick and Tev is Jewish, they bought a bunch of like fucking swastika shit. You know, and it was funny to them. Of course, now this is 20 years later. It's not funny to anyone. It's super awful. So they bring it all back and then Keats dies a year or two later and Tev gives me all this fucking swastika shit. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do with that? So it's Keats's and I loved him and I want to honor him. But what am I supposed to do with it? Obviously I can't sell it. Nobody will buy it. And plus that's just super icky. So I like wrap it up in like a thousand pieces of paper and I put a note on it. When you find this and I'm dead, I was not a Nazi. I just don't know what to do with this. Did you put it in like a bottle and send it into the ocean? <laughs> they should have done. Now I have this like pirate lunchbox that I hid it in. And I, hid, I put it in a pirate lunchbox and hid it. <laughs> oh okay, so here's the other thing that I... Also yesterday, this is so fucking weird. I was looking at my house and I was like, I better start cleaning up my drawers because in case I suddenly die, there's some horrifying shit in here that should be burned. But it wasn't like Nazi relics. It was like shit I wrote or just like like pictures that like, I mean, it's not like I'm curating photos for after I die, but I mean, like some of them were just, some of them just weren't flattering, dude. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Throw out the unflattering ones. <laughs> I think it's funny. Like everybody thinks like anyone's going to care about their stuff after you die. Like everyone's, everyone's just going to dump everything. And that's why I am like a compulsive dumper. I get rid of everything, which is probably kind of dumb. Because, like, literally, this shit I have thrown out, people get so mad at me. But, um, yeah, because I know from losing my parents and stuff, everything just gets thrown out. So why? Why bother? Why bother also, they, were, they weren't you. And also remember how we always were. We always looked through people's trash and got great shit. Yes. And, so, and I know a lot. This gives me hope for the future. I know a lot of girls that are in their 20s and early 30s that do it. And so... Have you ever seen them wearing, wearing old clothes of yours or anything? Oh, yeah. I've seen bag ladies wearing my clothes. I mean, oh, we shit. used, used to be amazing. called bag ladies. Now we would call them unhoused women, but yes. Oh, that's much better. Remember that bag lady that we called Pinhead and she wore the, like, the, I forget what it's called. It's like from the Renaissance, the pointy oh, hat. Oh, yeah, like a wimple. A wimple. Thank you. She lived in the Canterbury. And I always loved her. Like, she was, I don't know what her story was. Like, she was maybe a failed failed actress or something but she obviously lived in the canterbury for like a hundred years yeah, and then she was a drug den <laughs> yeah well <laughs> no it was place. during it was during the drug no den, but i mean no. like she might have lived there like when she had a, a small uh, studio contract or something yes yes because that's what that place was built for the canterbury it was built for starlets to get their start and then it and ultimately became a place for punk rockers to get their start but yeah. she died and nobody noticed she died for weeks because obviously she was like a bag lady and she didn't have any friends or whatever and i guess finally someone smelled it and they figured out she died and so um i went in there and stole one of her dresses did you wear it? i still have i still have the dress because honestly i still feel guilty about stealing it even though she was dead and plus oh, like, you should put that in a lunchbox and write that and send it to heaven <laughs> Okay, let's I'm take sorry a break. I stole this dress from the dead lady. <laughs>
And we, we left off talking about the Canterbury. So um, let's talk about some more of the Canterbury and just like all those early days at the mask in the Canterbury. Because anyone, anyone who's in the know about punk rock knows that the mask was the first um, underground LA club um, for punks in, in Los Angeles. And then the Canterbury was catty corner across the street from it or sort of up the street from it. Because yeah, yeah, and so there was like it was like a constant parade back and forth. Was, there should have been a people mover going from like the mask to the Canterbury. <laughs> I literally, I literally remember rolling amps down that sidewalk from the Canterbury, the one block to the mask. Yeah. So tell, um, so like, who was was Belinda living at the Canterbury at the beginning of the Go Go's too, or just was was I? I don't remember like that part of the timeline. Yeah, the timeline, I feel, I think we both, we didn't live together, but we both lived there. And I feel like it was before the go started that we did that. Honestly, I have such a terrible memory. Um, yeah, but I mean, that really was a punk rock dormitory, that place. It was like so fun. People running around with everybody's doors open, like seriously, like. It was like the college experience I never got to have, but with lots of lots and lots and lots of drugs and, you know, bad haircuts and stuff. The, the college experience everyone else wanted to really have. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, um, wait, wait, what was I going to say? I don't even, I, I don't remember. I'm getting um, good onset, good timing onset Alzheimer's. No. <laughs> oh, okay. I know what it was when, when there was the graffiti about the, um, the piranhas and stuff in the, oh. in the elevator and the piranhas, um, were, were like sort of an all girl gang or faux gang and stuff. But, um, it was all the hottest girls from the Canterbury and, um, all the boys, I think Terry started at Terry Graham because you were going out with him saying that you guys were all lesbians or something. I don't remember. <laughs> but, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I wasn't a piranha, but, um, I got molested by the piranhas, which, you know, these days it would be bad, but at the time it was just like girls having fun. Um, I don't know. I forget. I took some pills and I was like in blackout and then, um, I forget what, I mean, obviously I got molested, like, I don't know, they just, like, put hickeys all over me and shit, like, I mean, I don't really care, but Terry Graham went berserk, oh my god, he was so fucking mad, and yeah, that's when he started writing the Cronus are Lesbians and stuff, like, oh, I mean, but- so, so much, so much of my past is murky, and there's just been so much other stuff that's even weirder that that one, people like to talk about it, but honestly, it's sort of the least of anything. <laughs> No, I, I didn't really want to talk about it because of that. I just wanted to tell you, um, in case you don't know, like this many years later, that I was like, how come I'm not in the piranhas? I felt I was like, I want to be in a lesbian West End story. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but the thing is, they might have been a gang in name, but they didn't really actually do anything. I mean, other than molest me, I don't remember them really doing anything. No, but that's they- like all of, all of my fake bands. Like they had names. Yes but we never played or did anything or like even had a whole lineup you know <laughs> i know for ages when you started the screaming sirens i thought it was another one of your fake bands i didn't realize it was real for ages <laughs> <laughs> no it was really real because that was like the good time well when i was starting the fake bands i just everyone was already in a band and that in those days you couldn't like mm-hmm. I mean, no one thought of like quote unquote side projects, mainly because most of us didn't know how to play, and we just had to concentrate on like one thing or four songs or something. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, like when when I remember you guys in Spurs gig, but also I remember remember when um you were moving a storage, like some storage boxes from somewhere, and and you found um. You found a bunch of old shit. And I think Belinda did too, right around the same time. I don't know if that's when, when you guys were getting ready to do some kind of thing. It might've been that, um, that first, first documentary thingy that, um, with, um, Teddy Demi or something. I don't know. Oh, oh you mean the old 
stuff from the beginning of the go-go stuff yeah and then and then like like just like when you you were having that you had one diary entry with someone that um you can say or not say who it was but you're like i'm afraid i'll get vd (laughs) (laughs) well i think i was afraid of that a lot because i literally don't remember who was that um that was terry oh really yeah the thing that, that I remember about Terry and why we broke up was that um, I... No, was, not Terry Graham. Was oh, it? Terry, Terry Hall? Yeah. I don't think... That guy seemed like when I was with him that he had never even had sex before. Really? English boys... I mean, I wanted to have sex with lots of English boys, but and every time I tried, they were, like, so fucking horrified. Like, I remember this one guy, I'm not going to say, it was a guy in, in a band, of course. And, um... I tried to give him a blowjob, and he was like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) That was shocking. That was really shocking. I never had that problem with English boys. Like, the the ones that I picked knew what what blowjobs were. Right? (laughs) Well, you married one, and certainly he was good in bed. Yeah, you should know. No. (laughs) (laughs) you were very you were a giver you were a sharer you really were (laughs) let's take a break and we'll be right back okay when we were writing when we were both writing chapters for the first um john doe and tom de savia book like under the big black sun Mm -hmm. i'm just telling this to audience jane and i were both we were like emailing each other different things like while we're writing like saying do you remember this or do you remember that thing and then before we handed them in we both we both like sent each other our chapters and they had so much crossover it was insane it was almost like we collaborated on it yeah (laughs) go ahead go ahead no, no, I was just going to say that that was such a fun project and that was, it was so easy to write. I mean, I just barfed mine out in a couple hours. It, you know, it was like, I think I had just been waiting for someone to ask to tell the story. Yeah, mine too. I th- and I think also because we both barfed ours out in a couple of hours, that was why we were, we just were like saying, what did you write about? Like in case, we, like I didn't even have to outline mine. Mine was just in the consciousness. <laughs> yes, yes, same. But um, uh, also remember I wrote a story about you in one of my my books, and you got really mad that I didn't mention your name. Um, oh, I know, so salacious and like lazy and sexy, and she just like was all discreet, didn't say my name. And I called, I called you. I was like, "What the fuck, dude? I don't care if you say my name." I know I'm you're not, on I am so not ashamed of anything in my past except the times that I have been unkind to people. Those those are the things that haunt me. Oh, and one more thing. One night I ate this big dinner in town and uh, me and my, my husband at the time, we were driving home and we lived down in the sticks and all of a sudden I had to do a giant shit and I actually had to stop in front of my um, accountant's office, which was this <laughs> little house on Doheny and I pooped in his side yard because I couldn't hold it in and that is the thing I'm most ashamed of not um not having sex with multiple people not having you know girl sex not taking drugs it's pooping in my accountant's yard (laughs) oh my god that's that's so female trouble of you (laughs) I did not eat it ew um okay so speaking of female trouble and and movies and shit let's let's talk about we've been in a bunch of movies together what is it like three or four i mean i don't even remember like um they were with steve balderson i think it was three but you know what i've always wanted to ask you and i just i need to sidetrack for a minute what remember when they were doing all those like rock movies and punk movies and they did like the Ramones movie, and then they did the Chips Punk episode and all that yeah. crap. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, I remember all of those. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember doing some of them, but I can't remember which one. So then I try and watch them and try and find myself, and I never can, but I know I did some of those. 
people people call me all the time, even or text me, even sometimes when I'm in foreign countries or when they are. And like um, someone someone said they were watching um, like a movie at four in the morning, and it was weird because I had just seen them on TV and some other special that was current. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, when people ask me, this must be like with you, except you're like a legit rock star. People are like, "Were you in blah 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 movie?" And, and or like, "Were you in were you in a um an old punk movie?" And then I always just go, "Which one?" That yeah. I feel like I'm being secure. You know what I mean? Because like we were yeah. in all of them. I know. I remember it was like, "Wow, you actually got paid." What did you pay like ten dollars and get free lunch or something? Or sometimes they didn't even pay; they just gave us lunch. Yeah, but that was worth it because we didn't have any other work because of what we looked like. I'm like, no. Exactly, exactly. Except when I worked at Norm's Coffee Shop in La Cienica and I had to wear a wig because my hair was like, looked like snow cone head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about... Um, oh, the movie. Yeah, what was your favorite, which was... Um, which was your favorite set? The Casserole Club, Stuck, or... Um, or uh, Firecracker. These are all movies we were in, um, like together for location, together on location for weeks. And and each one of these sets was fucking batch. I think the Casserole Club, because of the movies we made, tell tell everyone about that. But wait, let's, um, take, let's take a little break first and, and then okay. we'll, um, okay. we'll get back to it. We're back and Jane and I are talking about some major Hollywood shit on location. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so our friend, well, I don't even remember how I met him, but Steve Balderson is this amazing guy from Wamea, Kansas, of all places that wanted to make movies like so badly that he would just freaking make them. He would find funding, he would get crews, he would get actors, and he and we were like Pleasant and I were like part of the stable of people that got to make multiple movies with him. So we did the first one was Firecracker, and that was like about this. It was about this like freak show, and Pleasant played this woman with three boobs, which I always loved, and I was super jealous that you got that role. And um, who did I play? Oh, did I play the woman at the bus? I ran the bus terminal. Yeah, the bus terminal lady. And I was all, I was all beat, but I had like black eyes, and I was wearing a neck brace because my husband was beating me, which was totally not even part of the film. But I mean, it was just this weird thing that got added in there, um, and that was okay. I mean, we were staying at like a six dollar motel and stuff, and I mean, it was fun in its own way. But with but, Karen Black also staying oh, there, and, like, I was the going to whole- say Karen Black was there, and. I mean, Karen Black was really like towards sort of probably the bottom of her career, but she was still trying to insist on things to to prove that she had value, which clearly she did. But she's like, I need a trailer. So Steve Barrow's like, one of those little trailers that's like six feet long. (laughs) A beat with fiberglass splinters coming out of it and stuff. Right, right. That you pull behind a regular car. So she had that and she was fucking nuts we remember we had some dinners with her and she was just so weird but i mean i was really happy i got to meet her she was a legend yeah she was great she was she was um she was talking about like um her husband i think was a scientologist she was talking yes. about that when when my first scene was with her was um was when we were both getting raped in a carnival trailer. And I'd made the mistake of watching The Day of the Locust, the, the, you know, the night before, which was like one of my favorite movies ever. And I was all nervous to act with her. And <laughs> but everybody on, on the, the set of um, Firecracker was either coming out or having affairs or like 
you know, we getting into car accidents on their way to like strip clubs. And I mean that, and this was in the middle of fucking Kansas. It was so insane. It was insane. So that was a fairly fun experience. And, you know, I really, I did like working with Steve and of course Pleasant was in all the movies. So then um, I think the next one must've been stuck. Which yeah. was, where were we? Were we in Georgia? Yeah, we were in Making Georgia, and this was Making a woman Georgia. in prison movie. It was a woman in prison movie, and I got to play a sort of like, um, I don't know how to say it. How do you say it politely now, mentally? You were, you were a neurodivergent prisoner. <laughs> Thank you. Neurodivergent. I love that. And so basically, I had this uh, girlfriend who was played by uh, Susan Trailer, who is actually like a real actress and super amazing. And, um, but I would just repeat everything she said. So it was a really easy role. And my favorite part was the the one day that we shot, like we were doing our exercise, walking in circles around the prison yard. And I just like laid down in the grass and started doing like grass angels, which are snow angels without snow. And that was my favorite part of the movie. The other thing was uh, we got to, um, we had these uniforms that Steve got for us that were, you know, our prison uniforms. And basically, they, they looked more sort of like house cleaner uniforms. They were like these little mustard-colored dresses. And he said, embellish them how you like. So I went to the fabric store, and I found all these, like, this fabric with, like, cute kittens on it. And then I, like, uh, sewed the cute kittens onto mine. It was, it was really cute. I loved that. I loved that movie. I think that was my favorite. We had so much fun. You remember when we were walking through that that actual prison? We were at the Bibb County um, yes. prison in Georgia, and we didn't know that there was um, like that the the bailiff was like he was like, ladies, when you are walking through the Bibb County prison, do not make <laughs> eye contact, do not make oral contact, you know, do not speak oral. to any of the inmates. And then and then we stopped them at the end of the hall, but. They were all wearing striped jail outfits and like hats and shit. Like, like seriously, like, oh brother, where art thou? And it was either you, I think it was you. And you're like, look, is someone else making a movie? And they were chained together, it was a fucking chain gang. And they were walking towards us and we were click clacking down the hallway in our little tight dresses and our spike heels. And um, we were like, hi. And they started cat calling us. <laughs> and the guard was like, do not make eye contact. Do not make verbal contact. <laughs> Um, it was me because I didn't know there were real prisoners in there. I thought it was a shut down prison. So I was like, oh, it's like they're remaking Jailhouse Rock or something because the black and white, come on, they still have black and white striped uniforms. It was absurd. <laughs> God. Oh my God. That would have been like, I mean, but you know, that would have been like good convict role plays, Hex. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the third movie we did together with Steve was Casserole Club. And that was like in Palm Springs, which was, of course, super fun. And the house, <clears throat> Steve was really creative about budget. So the house that he rented to shoot the movie in was also the house that half the cast were going to stay in, which was really fun. And then there was this other house that we stayed in that was really fun also. And that was when we started making, that's when we made our own movie, right? Yeah, we made lots of them. Okay, so the first night there was a cast party and all of us, everyone in the whole cast got uproariously drunk. So like within an hour of it starting, Jane and I were like holding up all the casserole plates. And, and then somehow I think I was like, took my shirt off and I was like, like I dreamed I was making casseroles in my maiden form bra and like Michael Mays was filming it. And like, um, so was um, Tony, like the, um, the director of photography. But by the next morning, they had a whole commercial made yeah. and edited, and we were supposed to be we were supposed to be awake, and he'd stayed up all night doing it. So we didn't want to tell Steve. <laughs> but, but then we made fucking. Then we every every night we, yeah, made, we, we, made, we made commercials. Most of them were about Pyrex, which is oh my god, it was. Well, I hate saying things was, were so funny and then not explaining why they were funny, but you can imagine that. Here we are working like 12, 14 hours a day on the real movie. And then at night, getting super drunk and then making like fake commercials. And then Steve kept finding out and telling us to stop, but we kept doing it anyway. <laughs> but my, my favorite one was when you and I decided to do Silence of the Lambs. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> 
the, the, the people we cast as the principal players hadn't seen it, and we. <laughs> okay, you gotta explain it because it's not funny when we just say it like that. Okay, what right. is the dialogue? Okay, well, well, the dialogue was the part when um when Buffalo Bill has like one of the girls in the pit. She's like, "Please, Mister, please, please, let me out." But we, that was you, right? <laughs> yeah, that you was me. I, I made I made precious. His little dog precious <laughs> was made out of a. <laughs> we we shot this one in September in Palm Springs, so this one was made out of a little white Halloween mask of a cat with feathers around it, like glued onto a white roll of paper towel. Paper towels. And then I was holding a piece of Pyrex. And the reason I was going to um, get the hose was because I, because I was using like a metal pot and not Pyrex, like a, a metal bathroom. <laughs> And, and, oh, and Jane said, I have an idea. And she went she went running away into our little like casita that we were sharing. And she like rips the fucking mattress off the bed and hauled the bed springs out and stood them up. And then she wanted um Nick, this guy who was really cute. I think he played with was he your love interest? I can't remember. I I can't, I can't remember. remember either. Okay, well, he was really cute, but we decided that he needed to be Hannibal Lecter for the jail scene. <laughs> so do you remember? You we, put, we put a plastic colander on his head because obviously we didn't have one of those mask thingies. <laughs> um, but what, oh, and then there was, who played Jodie Foster? Oh my God, this is such a long story. I'm sorry, people. So some of us Jodie Foster, right? Or I, I think Susan Trailer was Jodie Foster, but also... Her and Michael Mays, when we were showing them the parts of the movie, like they were both like deeply disturbed. And me and you were standing out by the pool, like rolling on the floor, laughing, like like speaking the dialogue along with it. <laughs> and what about the one we did? It was a trailer for Brokeback Mountain. But at the end, they turned to each other and said, I just can't quit you, Pyrex. So fucking dumb. Oh my God. We're the dumbest. I think that was that whole one was your idea because there was a weird like paper mache horse head sculpture mounted on the um on the garage of one of the houses. Yes, yes, yes. and we used that as our backdrop. Oh <laughs> shit. We had so much fun. How much energy did we have? Oh my god. Well you still have that much energy. <laughs> and, well if if me and you were together, we would too. Um, yeah, because it just becomes manic and crazy. Let's let's take a little break and we'll we'll come right back. Cue up, cue up the theme from Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I just can't quit you, pirates. <laughs> Okay, here we are back again talking about our, our crazy fucking escapades. Um, okay, so, uh, God, where do I begin? Um, I, already, I, I already talked about the mate swapping um, when Belinda and I were doing the, um, the podcast on my first thing, but like how we all used to trade, trade partners and stuff. Mm -hmm. and now we'd be called like Polly, but in those days, like, I mean, we were just called sluts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I, I like. We all like that term. But everyone yeah. we knew was a slut. Um, everyone. Uh, that's so one of the fun, fun things about um, growing up in that time. It was pre AIDS. 
And the 60s had ushered in this whole like free love business with hippies. So we just, even though we hated hippies, we loved the whole like free love, free sex business. So we just ran with that. So it was like this combination of just like they made it all like innocent and natural. We made it all debauched and fun. Yeah, we made it all like completely, um, you know, like how how all of the glitter rock songs that we liked sounded and how all of the eras in history that we wanted to live in seemed like they were. So mm-hmm. um, that was, yeah, that was, that was just, I think, don't you think it's weird when people talk about punk and they think it's like only the later punk, like, like, yeah. you know, the testosterone, yeah. like hardcore stuff. It makes me crazy because people especially think that about LA. It's like, they totally ignore actually what was the punk thing. And then punk got hijacked when the Orange County boys came into town. And, and then it all became about like, you know, punk beating each other up. And, you know, it was all like total testosterone, like you said. But and I mean, I think with John Doe's books and with more and more interest in the original scene that hopefully people are coming around to realize that that is not what it was. And when it turned into that, I think you, you're the one that said it, like all the girls were like, fuck this. And we just sort of like moved on to rockabilly because the boys were cuter and, and they didn't need to beat each other up all the time. Yeah, they were just, yeah. I mean, all of the, all of the rockabilly stuff, even the psychobilly stuff was like that, you know, like mm-hmm. it was just a lot more, um, it was a lot more female friendly. And it was like way sexier than what the punk turned into because the, the part of the punk that went all like, excuse me, like aggro, you know, Orange County, like masculine was all, I mean, to me, and I know to you, it was boring because it was, even though there was testosterone, it was super asexual. There was nothing Mm -hmm. fun about it. They were all homophobes, you know, they were all like gynophobes. It was Mm -hmm. was like, that's why I think that music is mostly boring. I can't think of like a lot of good bands or bands that I thought were good from that time period. Yeah. Yeah. I I just kind of moved on. And it yeah. took me years to, it took me years to come back to punk rock and, and um, remember how amazing the bands were, how good the music was, how much fun it was, and how much it shaped me as an adult later on. Oh, I agree with you on that. I feel like punk rock was like, and nowadays someone would say, quote, quote, it gave me permission. I mean, it didn't give us permission. We already were just taking permission. But but I think we we both and a lot of people that were in it learned so much how to operate in in later parts of life just from that like do what you want like figure out how to do it if someone's telling you can't do it go around it you know like, yeah yeah yep and then, and then now that we're old it's like we still don't give a fuck but it's in even more of a way because <laughs> like. I think that's that. That's the gift of of getting old. Is you really do stop giving a fuck. Because I always struggle being raised as a good girl. I always struggled with wanting not to give a fuck, but desperately giving a fuck. And so that that was my internal conflict always. But now I'm totally past it. I don't. I don't. I don't care. I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> I remember, like on Hollywood Boulevard, there was always these old lady starlets, like walking along with little hats and gloves and perfect purses, and they were always the people that would say to us, with like bright blue or lavender hair or some color hair, they'd be like, "Oh dear, your hair is so beautiful." You know what I mean? <laughs> you got that too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I also remember the the like frat boys driving by on Hollywood Boulevard and like yelling out the window Devo, and then like throwing bottles at us and stuff oh yeah no i remember i, t- I tell that to people all the time I, like i got outraged the first time someone brought me into hot topic i was sitting there with my mouth open in horror because it had really been commercialized you know yeah yeah and yes. um but all those people like um saying all that stuff those are the ones that turned into um you know the the punk that everyone thinks la punk is like a couple yeah. Of years later. Yeah. Or else, <laughs> or else after New Wave started, which was, you know, what the Gogas became part of, and that was sort of like this weirdly sanitized version of punk. I mean, then they, then, then, then it was great. <laughs> yeah. But the thing, the thing that I liked about um, you guys' documentary, 
I'm, I mean, the thing that I loved about it was not just like how honest you guys were, but, but also that everyone saved like pictures from the clown, the clowns and just all this sickish shit. But, um, I just loved like how, how people were reacting on social media. And this sounds so dumb, so dumb and modern as a statement, but like, they were like, Whoa, I never knew that they were like that. And I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that, 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 was, that was talking to me in a good way. Yeah. That movie changed a lot of things for my band. I mean, People just could not believe that we used to be a punk rock band. I used to get in fights online with trolls. With trolls be like, Go we we're, we're never punk band. I'm like, the fuck we weren't, asshole. You're like twenty years old. What what do you actually know? So I was really happy when that, that movie came out and it was like, Hello, here's the footage. Like <laughs> I know wrap, so wrap your key brain around this. <laughs> But yeah, that was totally my favorite part of that documentary. And I agree, everyone in the band was like super forthcoming, which wasn't always that case because some of the band members have always been guarded. And of course, I mean, I think that's really typical for like people that have been in the spotlight, you know, but I mean, obviously I've never been that way. I've always been just like probably an uh, oversharer, if anything. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, same. So, I mean, like when I was writing the, um, the stuff for John and Tom's books and also for other stuff I've written, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, even with you, you know, I've checked, but I'll check with other people and I'll be like, is this okay? Or is that okay? Or is this okay? But um, like sometimes in the past, uh, you know, like some people would say, no, don't print that. And I'd be like, fine. You know what I mean? But I remember when I was um, working on Under the Big Black Sun, I would send Belinda paragraphs and I'd be like, is this okay? And, she, and she'd be, yes. And then I'd send another one. Is that all right? And she, yes. And then finally on like one of them, I was like, is this okay? And she's like, I'm over 60. I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> oh, good. Yay. I love that. See that? Like I said, that's the gift. It's a gift of getting older. Kids, you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so fun. I mean, the other thing I like about about those days is that everyone that's um, still around because we lost a lot of people now, even if we didn't like each other in punk rock, like now, now we just, you know, like mm-hmm. at least respect each other, if not like each other. But yeah. Yeah. And there's people I've become friends with that I always wanted to be friends with. Like, I mean, I always knew John Doe, but I was totally more of a fangirl than a friend. And then over the last 10, 20 years, we've become friends. And I mean, that guy is so worshipable. I mean, he's so talented and he's so, such a great writer and he's so handsome. And it's just like so cool. He's so nice and he's so smart. Yeah. (laughs) That guy got it. He's got it going on. But yeah. We should clone him. We should, we should grab like a fucking cheek swab from him. John, we're going to come over and do a medical procedure on you. Oh my God! Remember when we did the Nurse Betty party? Yes. Tell everyone about that. Okay, so it was the it was when the movie of Nurse Betty came out. Was that Renee Zellweger? Yes. Okay, so Jane and Jane and I got asked to host a party for it at this drag queen club called Drag Strip Sixty Six in L.A. and which was the best club ever. Yeah, it was so but sad. This was but, like, was it, that was like in the late 90s, right? I think it was 99. I don't remember what time yeah. that came out. Um, it yeah, and it wasn't, it was, was it an, I can't remember. It was an official party for the movie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we mm-hmm. both get decked out in our finest, like, really hot, sexy nurse outfits. And, oh, I love me a good nurse outfit, by the way. I really do. But we, me too. You, you know, I wore one all through punk rock. Like when I had those 40s nurse uniforms. I mean, nurse. I, the, the only time I haven't had a nurse or surgical mask fetish was about a month after lockdown. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, masks like, definitely lost their sexiness after a month or so. Yeah. But, I, but we were, um, we were like sprucing up our nurse outfits at, at her house and getting ready for this and we were doing we were drinking already like really early and then we started doing coke and i and i remember the fucking like i was trying to cut out a red cross out of like thick latex and glue gun it onto my nurse hat and there was like fucking glue marks and garbage all over the place and we were all like 
ganked out and insane. But when right. they got that, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say not to mention all those severe burns you always get when you use a glue gun. Holy moly! Oh yeah, yeah. Especially when you're, especially when you're inebriated doing it. But but we walked it. We walked into the club and we didn't know it was going to be as crowded as it was. But we got there probably like an hour later at least than we should have been, and it was packed. And there was people running around in like fucking hospital gowns with their dicks hanging out and like <laughs> all these tall nurses and stuff. And Jane and I were just stopped door and she she turns and whispers to me which was actually yelling because it was like really loud there and she went boy there sure are a lot of sick people here (laughs) (laughs) so those are the days Oh I the thing I don't know. Besides how cute our outfits were, and I do remember the cutting out of the red crosses and the gluing. My main memory of that is like trying to do blow in the bathroom where all the toilets had overflowed, and it was like just like the mask two where there was like poop on the ground, and like I'm like gagging while t- trying to snort cocaine. It was so ridiculous. At some point, you got to be like. Maybe you just don't snort any cocaine right now because there's poop floating around your feet. Oh no, gotta do the drugs. <laughs> you had to stay sterile. Oh, that was it. Yeah. I was about to do surgery. I needed to be sterilized. Oh, yeah, I think we were walking around with our arms up with gloves on at one point. Yes! <laughs> we're just walking through the whole club like that. That was fucked up. Um, <laughs> Okay, so speaking of outfits, um, you've got your induction um, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame coming soon. Uh, do, do you want to reveal what your outfit is or are you keeping it a secret? Um, it's kind of a secret, but I will say that my friends, um, Eddie and Johnny, who are the design team of Debacalist, which is basically my favorite design name ever, um, they're making it for me. We've been collaborating um long distance over the ideas but it is going to involve a corset of course super cute jacket with gigantic pointed upright shoulders and um trousers and a skirt so the trousers are for the performance and the skirt is for the induction ceremony so but that is not to say all the exciting parts of the outfit those those are just the boring parts of the outfit but i can't reveal the rest because i want it to be a big surprise no of course you need to do that um oh and i bought shoes that they're platforms and they're like a foot tall really yeah but they're not like walking attendants with you no no because they're not the kind like lady gaga wear which i don't get how she walks in those mine are just like more like you know the monster army boots you know the the platform and the heels are almost the same height so i had to be over hopefully i'm gonna be six feet tall which has always been my goal in life (laughs) and and it's gonna look really stupid because i realized the other day that i'm gonna be like eight inches taller than the tallest (laughs) go-go that means you'll have to stand in the middle Yeah, but I will say this. My skirt is going to prevent me from standing near anybody. I'm just saying. (laughs) Maybe you could have the other girls hide under it, like in the nutcracker. And they could come (laughs) out from underneath it. Mm. So tell me, um, what kind of stuff do you have, like, coming up in the future? Or tell me about, tell me, tell everyone about about your animals first. Who do you, who do you have now? Oh, like, okay. Like a so, miniature horse, or am I hallucinating? Uh, no, I have a bunch of miniature things. I moved back to Hawaii where I was living a few years ago, and this time um, I'm living on a farm, and um, I've just started collecting miniature animals because they're so cute and fun. So I have two rescued miniature donkeys. That's what, have, you had, that's what you had. I'm obsessed with yeah. donkeys. Oh my God, I want one so bad. Donkeys are amazing. They have so much personality and they're so cute. And oh my God, I love them. They're very sassy too, which is great. And I have two miniature goats who, as it turns out, miniature goats are like dogs. They like run around with you. And like, if you're not paying attention to them, they'll like grab you by the shirt with their teeth and be like, me, me, me. 
sometimes I'll be bending over, like um, cleaning up poop or something, and they just like jump on your back. So you know all those videos of goat yoga? Yeah. It's totally a real thing. Like go, goats want to jump on anything that's higher than the ground. So anyway, so that's so the the two goats. So I've got Smitty and Jonesy are the donkeys, and then Quentin and Elliot are the goats. And then I recently just got two baby doll sheep that are miniature sheep, and their names are Barb and Betty. Oh my God, they're so cute. But they have all their wool, so they're really short, but they're like as wide as um. They're as wide as like a coffee table because they have so much wool on them. And it's Hawaii, right? So yesterday I was up in the field and they're like panting. I'm like, oh shit, I have to shear the sheep, which of course I've never done before. So I got to learn how to shear sheep. Wow. <laughs> oh, wait, and then we also have, um, we have a giant tortoise. He's 30 years old. He was a rescue. He's enormous. Tortoises are super weird looking. Um, and then I have three rescue dogs. And we're probably going to get more dogs because I'm a maniac. But I do, my main thing that I do outside of like being a total amazing world-class rock star <laughs> is um, I rescue dogs. I love rescuing. Yeah, you've always I mean, done yeah. that. Yeah, I've done it for really a long time. Do you, do you know you know about my sick project at Hollywood Cemetery? No. Oh Tell my me. God. Okay, well, you and everyone else have to go and look at Ramon's ducks on Instagram. Um, this started as a pandemic project in, in like spring or, you know, sort of, no, summer of 2020, because I was going there because everything was closed in LA. And I was already feeding like the ducks and the cats like a couple of times a week. And as you know, we used to have punk rock parties like yes. or, or stuff at night in the 70s in Hollywood Cemetery because it wasn't even yes. lost. It wasn't called Hollywood Forever yet. It, it was just a trashed, old, cool cemetery in the middle of Hollywood. Mm. But um, <clears throat> so after, you know, I, I brought... Um, my boyfriend there and because he's like what do you fucking do he thought i was doing witchcraft at the cemetery and i was like no i feed the ducks so um, <laughs> so then he, he said i love ducks so he came with me and then he was like he was like like a little kid he's like can we do this again tomorrow and i was like sure because you know what else was anyone doing in the pandemic so we started yeah. doing it and he was coming every day and then we had this idea to like start like directing the ducks across the water and like making hand signals and calling them and and it was mostly, this was like the joke was to, um, to like be able to walk into any event in the cemetery when big giant air quotes, everything goes back to normal. And I was like, you have to get a suit. I'm going to get like a, a really nice hooded cape. And then we're just going to throw our arms up like wizards and everyone's going to come like swimming and, and flying and like crawling to us. But then it started happening like <laughs> nonstop. And so then, um, <laughs> Then we decided to train them to go up to Didi Ramon's grave. And then he he made samples. It like he he played a version of Blitzkrieg Bop, but he sampled all the geese and the ducks and, and all the waterfowl in the cemetery. So instead of um instead of hey ho, let's hey go. Hey ho, let's go. It's quacking. It's and then you had footage of them running up to Didi's grave. Yeah, it's got its own whole Instagram account. It's no way. Ramon's Ducks. Yes, you have to watch it. You'll lose your mind. That sounds amazing. It is. Yeah, true, though. You farm Everyone thinks farm animals are so dumb, but you know what? They're just like not interested in you unless you have treats, and it's all about food, as it is with me, by the way. Um, like my miniature sheep, they were so shy. They wouldn't let me get near them. And then I started feeding them this like sheep treat that's basically like crack for sheep. And now like they see me from like 200 yards away and they just start screaming. And, and one of them is like a, like a lady soccer coach. She's all like, whoa. <laughs> Little thing. Oh my God, they're so funny. And they come charging at me. They've actually knocked me down once. Um, yeah, so you can really train them to do anything with food. That was like the, the lead singer of Ducks Creek Bop was like a little girl mallard and her name was Loudmouth and you could hear her you could hear <laughs> her all the way across the cemetery. But as soon as they figured out there was food at Didi Ramon's final resting place, yeah. now we'll play um we'll play like the song through a speaker and 
all the ducks come running or flying from all different parts of the cemetery to come up there every fucking day at, at like what? 45. Yes. Yeah. So you they're, have to. they're trained to come to, to Ramon songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. <laughs> That's genius. That, oh, it's 11, 11 pleasant. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, of course it is. Let's make a wish. Okay, wait, we're, we're going to have a moment of silence as we make a wish and everyone in this listening will too. One, two, three. Okay, wait, that, that's a, that was a good moment of silence. I hope you guys understand your wish. <laughs> um, well, do you, is there anything else you want to talk about? Or should we like, well, yes, of course there is. <laughs> I don't know, with you, Pleasant, you, we can just talk forever. I love that you remember everything. You're you are like my memory. <laughs> you're you're in so many of my memories. It's it's insane. Um, should should we should we should we tell them about um about the story that um the story that the um that I didn't say your name in was so they can find it or no? Dana's uh, flossing her teeth. That's like her, that's we discovered right before we came on the air that that's both of our obsessions. <laughs> You know, you know that Rolling Stone album called Let It Bleed? It's actually about flossing. (laughs) Wait, you know, wait, remember that book, Interview with the Vampire? That's actually (laughs) about flossing. (laughs) And a lot of people don't know that so many people have been made into vampires because they were flossing and the vampires were attracted to the smell. Um... I want to say this, Pleasant. You have to tell them. Was it Showgirl Confidential that had that story in it? Which of your books had that story in it? Yeah, it was Showgirl Confidential. So you have to read Pleasant's book, Showgirl Confidential. If you haven't read Pleasant's books, what are you waiting for? Hello. Um, <laughs> anyways, you can read about the Lesbo story between me and Pleasant, who will always be my favorite girl. <clears throat> you too. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you so much. Okay, we have to, next time we see each other here or on, on the islands, um, we have to do farm animal shit together and fly, okay. I mean, and fly. I definitely want to meet the ducks. Oh yeah, I totally, I'm dying to meet. Okay, I, I expect you to have like a wallaby, a miniature kangaroo by the time I come over and see you. Please, <laughs> you please, I can't have one. That was the first thing I Googled when I came back from Australia. Own a kangaroo legally in the United States. <laughs> I want a pygmy marmoset. Those things are cute. Oh yeah, my God. No, you know what? Owning wild animals is so bad and wrong. I, I was on Facebook and I followed this group that basically they like have auctions for all these exotic animals. And I I was on it for a couple of days and I started feeling like so horrified and so guilty. But they had shit like an uh, animal that had been created by breeding a zebra with a horse. And it was like a fucking horse with zebra stripes. And, I mean, you know, it's you, you want it, but you know it's wrong. And if you're a good person, you don't go after it. So I had to actually stop looking at that page because it was like, I was way too covetous and it was for something really bad. No, I don't know. No, I know I the Zorses. I'm obsessed with them too. With the what? Zors or whatever. Oh, Zors. Right, yeah. right. There's also something called a geep that's a cross between a goat and sheep, but apparently it's really bad genetics because they have different amounts of chromosomes, but like... Every like once in a million times that it happens, the thing lives. And at first I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to breed them. And then I'm like, no, you're not going to do that because you're going to have a bunch of dead baby animals. So try to be good, people. That's the moral of my story. Don't be yeah, an Don't do eugenics with farm animals. <laughs> right? Don't think, don't think you can play God or if, in, with a small G. <laughs> All right, my love. I love you the mostest. Okay, I love you so much. Um, you guys, that was Jane Weedland, and that wasn't even that wasn't even like a, a thirty, uh, you know, a thirty eighth or a forty second of how ex- exciting and amazing she is. We could probably do like a four hour version of this podcast, but maybe we'll do it and put it in a lunchbox, and someone can discover it from us posthumously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Um, see you next time on The Devil's Music.
this Ten eyes, well, that's no surprise Can you see them? See right through them They have no shield, no secrets to reveal It doesn't matter what they say In the jealous games people play Our lips are sealed The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. And its advanced beating technology keeps you seeing safely all year long. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Pick some up at Walmart today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.